This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. The Buck Sexton Show. Indeed, some jingle bells there for you all. Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, Want to talk to you about Christmas a bit, so we're bringing on a Christmas expert. No, that doesn't mean that he's just the best at opening presents. He actually knows the history of Christmas. William Federer joins us now. He is a best-selling author and a former U.S. congressional candidate. His book, There Really Is a Santa Claus, A History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions, is available now online. William, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you. Well, Buck, great to be with you. So please tell us, this St. Nicholas, or Sinterklaas, tell me about him. Where did this guy come from? He, he was a real person. He wasn't just a jolly fellow in a red suit coming down through the chimney. Right. Well, St. Nicholas is actually the most popular Greek Orthodox saint. He is to the Greek Orthodox what St. Peter is to Roman Catholics. And the Greek Orthodox traditions are he was born around 280 A.D., and that's still during the first three centuries of Roman persecutions of the Christians, and he is in Asia Minor. Today, that's Turkey. And his parents died, leaving him with a lot of money as a young man. And a movement that swept through the church at the time was, if you really became a Christian, you were expected to give away all your money and join a monastery. And so he uh, gives away his money to the poor, but he wants to do it anonymously because he wants the credit to go to God. And so he would sneak into town and leave money for poor people. And one story that was popular was a merchant in the town of Patara had gone bankrupt. And back then, the creditors would not only come and take your house and lands, they would take your children. And so this merchant had three beautiful daughters. He knew if they were taken, it would probably mean a life of sex trafficking or forced marriages. We hear stories about that today. Um, And so he had an idea. He thought if he could hurry up and marry his daughters off, the creditors couldn't take him. Unfortunately, he did not have money for a dowry, which was needed in that area of the world for a legally recognized wedding. Nicholas hears the problem. Late one night, throws a bag of money in the window. It provides the dowry. The oldest daughter can get married. Throws it in another night for the second daughter. It's a big buzz talk of the town. When he throws it in for the third daughter, the dad's expecting it. He's waiting up. He runs outside, catches Nicholas. And Nicholas makes the father promise not to tell where the money came from because, again, he wanted the credit to go to God. So this was the origin of the tradition of secret gift-giving on the anniversary of Nicholas's death, which was December 6, 343 A.D., and the stockings by the fireplace, the midnight visits, so forth. Now, the three bags of money he threw in the window were remembered by pawnbrokers, and they hang three gold balls outside of their shop, their pawnbroker shops, uh, to represent those three bags of money. And they say, well, we're rescuing families in their time of financial need, sort of like St. Nicholas. So he is considered the patron saint of pawnbrokers. A little bit of a stretch, but that's what they consider. Um, Anyway, he is uh, going on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He's going to join a monastery. Somehow the Lord impresses on him not to hide his light under a bushel. He makes his way back to Asia Minor. Today, that's Turkey. Gets off at a busy port city called Myra. Today, that's called Demre. And unbeknownst to him, the bishop had died. The church leaders could not decide who the next bishop was going to be, and they basically asked him to be it. But the attitude was 
that the Roman emperor was arresting bishops and killing them. So it was sort of like, you be the bishop. No, 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 I insist, you be the bishop. Uh, and uh, so he was not too thrilled with it, but he agrees, and he is arrested, and he's put in prison awaiting death, and then the emperor dies, Diocletian. The next emperor, Galerius, dies. And uh, the toss-up is four generals, and Constantine wins. And he ends the persecution of Christians, and so Nicholas is let out of jail. And now that it's legal to be a Christian, he preaches against the Diana worship. Nearby to Myra was Ephesus, and they had the temple to Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was twice as big as the Parthenon in Athens, 127 huge pillars and temple prostitutes. It was the Las Vegas of the Mediterranean. The Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 19, preaches against the Diana worship there in Ephesus. Well, Nicholas preaches against it as so much, the people tear the temple to Diana down. And then there's the Arian heresy. So the first three centuries of Christians, they don't live long enough to argue over doctrine. Uh, once Constantine legalizes Christianity, Arius starts the first heresy, says Jesus is a created being, is a little less than God, writes a catchy song. The Visigoths were some people group that came into the Roman Empire. They converted en masse to Arianism. So it's splitting the Christian church and splitting the Roman Empire. So Constantine orders all the bishops to settle it. They do at the Council of Nicaea. And the story is that Nicholas was so upset at Arius for starting this first of all heresies that Nicholas slapped Arius across the face on the floor of the conference. So jolly old St. Nick had a little temper. Anyway, he dies in 343 A.D., and uh, the Greeks would live, leave presents for each other. Uh, Vladimir the Great, the emperor of Russia, converts to Greek Orthodox Christianity, adopts Nicholas as the patron saint of Russia, and then the Muslims invade in the year 1087, and they're trashing the churches across Asia Minor. Uh, matter of fact, all seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation were all wiped out by the Muslims. These New Testament letters to Ephesus and Galatia and Colossae and Corinth, all those cities were wiped out by the invading Muslims. And so the Christians moved the grave of their famous St. Nicholas over to Italy, a little town called Bari, B-A-R-I. And the pope that dedicates the church is Urban II, People may not be up on their pope names, but that's the same Pope Urban the II. Crusade the crusade guy. Yeah, he goes to the Council of Claremont and begs the European leaders to send help to these Greeks that are being conquered by the Muslims. They send help. It's called the First Crusade. So the St. Nicholas story is coming to Western Europe is at the same time period as the First Crusade. Um, then, uh, now that Nicholas's traditions are in Italy, uh, the gift-giving is so popular that it sort of becomes a distraction. So in 1223 A.D., St. Francis of Assisi invents the first nativity scene, saying we need to get back to the reason for the season. Jesus was born in the manger. Then the Reformation starts, and uh, Martin Luther in 1517 ends the Saints' Days in Germany, and the Germans like the gift-giving. So he moves all the gift-giving to December 25th. Instead of the December 6th, the visit of St. Nicholas, and uh, he says all gifts come from the Christ child. And the German pronunciation of Christ child is Chris Kindle, and today we pronounce that Chris Kringle, right? So Kindle, like kindergarten, kindercare, kind means child, and Chris means Christ. So Chris Kindle meant Christ child, or as we say, Chris Kringle. But we begin to see the story moves a little bit. 
So you know, uh, Catholics say St. Peter's at the gates of heaven. Well, the Greeks do a take on the prophecy in Revelation where Jesus will return at the end of the world to judge the living and the dead riding a white horse. And the saints will come back with him riding white horses. And St. Nicholas is a saint after all. So he would be one of those riding a white horse. They just have him coming back once a year for a little mini-judgment, a little checkup on the kids, make sure they're on the right track, see who's naughty, see who's nice. And then in Norway, they didn't have white horses, so they had him riding a reindeer. And the saints come from heaven, the celestial city, the new Jerusalem, that turns into the North Pole. The angels turn into the elves, the Lamb's Book of Life and Book of Works turns into the Book of the Naughty and the Nice. And so you sort of see it gets a little bit off track there. Anyway, um, in England, uh, Henry VIII brings the Reformation, but he makes it more of a Mardi Gras, sort of a partying time, and the Puritans then take over England and outlaw Christmas. But the Dutch, to this day, still have St. Nicholas coming once a year, dressed as a bishop, and he's riding a white horse, and he's giving out presents, and he has with him a little Muslim helper named Zwarte Piet. And they tell the kids, if you're naughty, Zwarte Piet will put you in a gunny sack and take you back and sell you into Muslim slavery. Muslims enslaved over a million Europeans throughout the Middle Ages, and there were whole Catholic orders. Anyway, the Dutch settled New Amsterdam, and that's... So, so wait, instead of getting a piece of coal in your stocking, it was the Muslim slave traders that are going to come get you? The Dutch, interesting stuff. Right, and so I've actually talked to people from Holland, and they said, yeah, every Christmas Eve, all the little boys would go to sleep at night uh, with a pocket knife in their pocket. And I said, why is that? He goes, that's to cut ourselves out of the gunny sack in case of our day Pete took us. So Makes often sense when to you me. Santa Claus coming, they start crying. <laughs> and uh, I'd love to have tormented my little brothers with that one. William, but, can um, we, uh, we, I wanted to hit a break. Can we keep you through the break? Because I have more questions about Christmas to ask you. Is that all right? Do you have sure, a couple sure. minutes? Um, yes. And tell everybody where they can get your book. This is fascinating stuff. Uh, it's called There Really is a Santa Claus, The History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions. And Amazon.com has it, uh, but my wealth website also is AmericanMinute.com. I was wondering if you could tell me, for example, about, oh, where does the 12 days of Christmas come? Where does the 12 days of Christmas come from, and where does the Christmas tree come from? Well, um, 567 A.D., they couldn't decide what day's holier. December 25th in Western Europe, Christmas or January 6th in Eastern Europe called Epiphany, the visit of the three wise men. And so at the Council of Tours there in 567 A.D., they decided to make all 12 days from December 25th to January 6th the 12 days of Christmas. And they call them Holy Days. And over the centuries, the word Holy Day got pronounced holiday. And so when people say, well, let's not call it Christmas, let's call it a holiday. Uh, well, what's the, ho- what's, the, what's the holy days? It's Christmas. Okay, you can't get away from it. I mean, even our calendar goes back to what? Uh, 2016 what? Uh, years since the birth of Christ? Even our very calendar goes back to the birth of Christ? Um, and um, Anyway, I-, I wanted to throw in real quick how it transitioned from St. Nicholas to Santa Claus. Um, uh, in if I have a moment. Yeah. Um, in New York, the Dutch settled it, and the Dutch brought over their St. Nicholas traditions of the visit once a year. And Washington Irving, now we know him because he gave us the Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle. Well, he wrote Dietrich Knickerbocker's History of New York, and he starts with the beginning of the Dutch settlement, and he talks about the Dutch tradition of St. Nicholas visiting once a year. But he describes him no longer wearing a bishop's outfit of the mitered hat and staff like he does in Holland, 
he describes him wearing a Dutch outfit of long trunk hose, leather belt boots, and a stocking hat. And so that was in 1809 is when he switched his outfit. And then in New York was Clement Moore. And his family owned a big farm. Today, that's the neighborhood of Chelsea. There's a Clement Moore Park there at 10th Avenue and 22nd Street. Well, Clement Moore is a Hebrew professor at the General Theological Seminary of Protestant Episcopal Church in New York. And he writes a poem for his kids in 1823 titled, A Visit from St. Nicholas. It was a night before Christmas all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care and hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. A lively old driver, so lively and quick. I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. Up to the housetops, of course, as they flew with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas, too. I drew in my head and was turning around down the chimney. St. Nicholas came with a bounce. So he's still St. Nicholas, but he shrunk a little. Now he's a right jolly, plump old elf. I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. So, But he's still the saint. Uh, and then we see the Civil War starts. And there's an illustrator for Harper's Weekly magazine named... Thomas Nast, N-A-S-T. He's the one that invented the Republican elephant and Democrat mule for his political illustrations. Well, he's the first one to put a North Pole sign behind an illustration of St. Nicholas talking to the Union troops. And it was actually a political jab at the South to say St. Nicholas belongs to the North. Right, And uh, prior to then, St. Nicholas comes from the Celestial City, heaven, that's where saints come from. 1930, Coca-Cola hires an artist named Haddon Sunblum, was famous for his Quaker Oats Man on that box of oatmeal, and he does a painting of St. Nicholas drinking Coca-Cola. He does one a year for 30 years, and now he's full-grown size again, rosy cheeks, ruddy complexion, a nice huggable grandfather, and that's uh, what we have today. But if you peel back all the layers, it really does go back to a St. Nicholas who uh, did love Jesus, uh, lived during the 4th century Asia Minor, was imprisoned for his faith by the Romans, stood for the doctrine of the Trinity, slapping Arius across the face for the Aaron Harris, who preached against paganism and sexual immorality there at the Temple to Diana. But he was very generous, and he gave to the poor in their time of need, and he did not want to take the credit for it. And so that's the origin of the person. So instead of it being, you know, Jesus is good, Santa is Satan, you know how they try to, no, no, Saint, uh, Santa Claus was the Dutch pronunciation of St. Nicholas, and he was a godly man. Anyway, but I um, uh, wanted to throw that in. Um, but as far as the, the 12 days of Christmas, um, there Wait, was... What about the Christmas a, tree? The Christmas tree. We only got about a minute. I want to get the Christmas tree in there. Christmas tree. So uh, the uh, German story is that St. Boniface was a missionary uh, in the 5th century to the Germanic tribes, and they worship Thor. That's where we get Thor's Day, and Wednesday comes from Woden's Day. Those were, you know, uh, Germanic gods. Well, anyway, they're going to sacrifice Prince Althoff to this Thor, and St. Boniface comes, chops down the oak tree, and uh, then he points to an evergreen tree and says, this is the tree of peace, and see how it points toward heaven, and it's evergreen, and let it shelter no deeds of blood. And and so there's actually a statue in the town there of uh, St. Boniface and this stump of a tree that he chopped down. And so the Germans liked the tree, but it was Martin Luther that uh, on Christmas Eve put some candles in the branches of the evergreen tree and says this is like the sky above Bethlehem on the night of Christ's birth. Of course, the the lights at that time of year go all the way back to Hanukkah. So it's sort of like those two were sort of melded together into the Christmas tree. Wow. But, uh, William, I got to tell you, I'm going to get your book. This is awesome. This is all this stuff is in your book, right? I'm going to go check this out on Amazon. Uh, William Federer is the author of There Really is a Santa Claus, The History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions. 
Uh, well, and also you can go to AmericanMinute.com, uh, which is his website. Bill, you are a fantastic radio guest, sir. Thank you for giving us your time, and have a Merry Christmas. Well, thank you, Buck, and Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. <laughs> Absolutely. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. 